You're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. So, last week, Emerger Strategies launched the Fly Fishing Climate Alliance. And the main objective of the Climate Alliance is to go carbon neutral by 2030. So, in this episode, I interview Fly Fishing Climate Alliance members Corinne and Garrison Doctor from Repure Water, Tom Fernandez from Tailwater Lodge, Dave McCoy from Emerald Water Anglers, and Kyle Schaefer from Soulfly Outfitters. We discuss why each of them decided to join the Climate Alliance, how climate change is impacting our fisheries, and how sustainable business practices and going carbon neutral is solving the climate crisis so that we can save the planet, the fish, our businesses, and in the process, protect what we love. Hope you enjoy. This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Emerger Strategies, a sustainable business consultancy whose mission is to solve the climate crisis by helping your business go carbon neutral. To learn more, visit EmergerStrategies.com. First and foremost, thank all of you for signing up for the Climate Alliance and uh, appreciate y'all taking some time to chat tonight. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, we appreciate you. Yep, thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. Um, so I thought um, since this is the Sustainable Angler, um, before we dive too deeply into climate change, maybe we should talk about why we love fishing and why we want to protect what we love and um i'll just sort of go around the room a little bit and we'll just get the conversation started there so i'm going by who's on the top of my screen so i'm going to start with uh corinne and, and garrison from rep your water bet um i think for everyone the stereotypical response is always for the future of our planet you know and we don't have kids nor will we have kids but we have so many friends who have children and we really believe in passing on a better world than we have you know like we love fishing we love all those things those are really selfish pieces um and so we really believe in in protecting what we love to recreate on but then beyond that yeah absolutely and 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 i think that that's such a um first off selfless and and uh admirable way to to look at this is is to be thinking outside of yourself and you know we're all we all love to fish and um, of course, I want to catch fish today. I did not today. We, I, 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 I missed a redfish opportunity today that will haunt my dreams tonight. But, um, but it's not just about fishing for today. It's about the the, the future and um, just you know basic conservation principles of 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 leaving something better than than the way that you found it. And so. Um, Kyle from Soulfly Outfitters. I, I know that you're a guide up in Maine and you guide in the Bahamas and um, do quite a bit of uh, traveling elsewhere. But um, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. You know, what, what is it that, uh, what is your why, I guess, for, for being a Climate Alliance member? Yeah, so, you know, for me, I mean, I think as, you know, I'm, this is a commercial enterprise for me. You know, I, I got into this for the love of fishing and for the sport of it. And that's how it all started for me. But now I make my living doing it. And so I feel like it is, you know, 100% my duty to um, be paying attention to what's going on in the world, whether it's fisheries issues, which are certainly affected by climate change. Um, also, what's just happening in our, our planet, the Gulf of Maine, is the water's warming at 99% faster than the rest of the world's oceans. So we're in a microcosm up here that is, wow. we're seeing change on a, on a daily basis. We're seeing new fish coming into our system. So it's, you know, to me, it just feels like my duty to, um, 
you know, to be looking outside just as operating as a guide and try to be a better citizen of, of the world and our community. Um, and this is just such a natural, wonderful way to, to make an impact, raise some awareness, um, you know, and just, and just spread the word. So, you know, I feel strongly that I, I really, it's my duty to, um, to operate as best as I can and, and uh, get involved in stuff like this. So really, really proud to be a part of this group for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, it's funny, you know, something you just said too about the, you know, the oceans warming I'm, I'm based in Charleston, South Carolina, and um, we certainly are already seeing that here. Um, in fact, I've, I've seen a bunch of uh, pictures where people are starting to catch a lot of snook here. So we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that, but the change in migratory patterns is something that um, climate change is already affecting and impacting so um sounds like you're already seeing that up in maine but we'll we'll uh, we'll talk we'll chat a little bit more about that um so next i have uh tom fernandez tailwater lodge uh just a, a little bit of background on, on tom and i we um met each other through our mba and sustainable business program we were in the same we were like oddly People got us confused because we were the two fly fishing dudes. They're like, oh, you're the one who fly fishes. Who's a, who's a psycho? Because um, <laughs> we always talked about that, like in, in discussions. And um, anyway, I had I had an opportunity to uh, visit Tailwater Lodge outside of Syracuse, New York this past fall and do some fishing. And um, we'll actually be hosting uh, the first sustainable business workshop. Uh, that Emerger Strategies is putting on at Tailwater Lodge this November, but um, shameless plug there. But uh, Tom, I will kick it over to you and uh, ask you the same question. You know, why why is this so? Uh, is climate change and, and protecting what you love so important to you? Yeah, no, thanks again, Rick. Um, it was interesting because I started off in sustainable business outside of fly fishing. So we we build hotels and restaurants and different things around upstate New York. And we happened upon an area that could be the Tailwater Lodge. So it kind of was able to take my aspect of sustainable design, bring it towards my passion of fishing and, you know, bring those two things together with it's oddly taken over my entire life, except for my kids, which is the reason that, you know, I, I feel so strongly in this, you know, in this change and really making witness of what's happening and how we can actually make a difference. Um, you know, same thing in upstate New York, we're seeing changes with brook trout population. Um, we've done a ton of river restoration work at Tailwater just because the water keeps on getting warmer and warmer. Um, you know, there's many things that we need to do. Um, I live in Skinny Atlas, New York, which is a little bit outside of Syracuse. We're seeing crazy algae blooms now. So, you know, pretty much everywhere you look, there's something that needs, you know, us to take a look at and impact is needed everywhere. So, you know, it's, it's just what we need to survive on, on our own planet. So yeah, that's, that's what brings it all together. Absolutely. Um, and something that we'll, we'll get into, but Tom, um, some of not only Tailwater Lodge, but some of the hotels that they manage have got some incredible sustainability stories um, that are, not only helping to solve climate change through energy efficiency and and um, some other aspects that, that that we'll dive into, but um, really really interesting stuff. But um, so next we've got uh, Dave McCoy from Emerald Water Anglers, and uh, Dave and I got connected. I don't re actually remember how maybe Brian Bennett connected us or something. And yeah. we wound up doing a podcast for the sustainable angler not too long ago. And Dave introduced me to Kyle and this is just sort of how this whole thing is, is evolving. Um, but Dave, um, same question. Let, let's kick it off as, as a guide, as a, uh, as a shop owner, you know, what is it about, climate change that um that you're so passionate about and, and and why you want to protect what you love man it's um <clears throat> it's a it's a great question i think 
I've, I have all those same feelings that everybody else has expressed. Um, and I feel like those are very organic feelings for a lot of people when they start to just peel back the layers of, of what it is that they're experiencing. And if they're paying close enough attention, like our sport demands, I think it's inevitable that people will start to see a lot of these changes, deteriorations, alterations um, in, in the places that they spend time fly fishing. I guess for me, the thing that has awestruck me, I'll leave it neutral as to whether it's better or for worse at the moment is the extraordinary amount of people in our industry with money, uh, with abilities, capabilities for travel, for making decisions that are conscious of that simple fork in the road of, you know, how do you, do I buy this because it was made here or do I buy that or do I travel here because it's closer? All these little things that add to what are our carbon footprints. And I just, you know, Rick, until you really started this merger strategies thing, there just isn't anybody else in this industry really addressing these things. Everybody wants to address their local watershed and that grassroots um, you know activism is incredibly important in fact it's probably some of the most potent but there's really not anybody specific to our sport that is grabbing the megaphone and blasting this and leading through example by number one what's going on and number two how we're effectively going to be able to hold the the change within our grasp if we choose to and so I guess yep I've got a daughter and I want to leave what I have currently opportunity wise and everything else to her and possibly her kids yep I grew up in the outdoors and it's why I do what I do despite wanting to be a stockbroker when I was in college um, <laughs> yep I chose a profession that makes zero freaking money um, and I do it completely out of the love and the inspiration that I can provide people to hopefully walk that same path that I've had the opportunity to walk. And so that's really where I come at this from. I, I feel like being a catalyst for a larger change on a faster scale than what we're currently heading for. Yep. Um, couldn't, couldn't agree more. And, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, to, I guess, somewhat summarize everyone's sentiments, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, you protect what you love. And if you're in the fly fishing industry, we clearly love to fish. We love our lifestyle. We love the places that it takes us, um, the people that we meet and to put that at risk, I think is, uh, not acceptable, which is why we're, we're doing what we're doing. And so just, uh, I guess, make a statement about the, the climate alliance and what we're trying to do before we dive in deeper is just, you know, we all recognize that climate change is the single greatest threat to fisheries on our planet amongst to humans. <laughs> not only save the fish, save the humans, save yourselves, um, save, save the mammals, but um ultimately we we want to protect our our uh our planet um we want to protect the fish and we want to protect our businesses so that we can continue to to do what we love and uh to dave's point to continue to hopefully provide that inspiration for others to uh to get outside and um really enjoy everything that uh, nature has has blessed us with and has provided us with so um I thought I would talk a little bit more because we're talking about one of the, the obviously the, the the big thing that we're doing. Well, actually, let me back up. So the whole Climate Alliance idea, just in case anyone was wondering, um, was I interviewed Alden Schindler, who's the uh, VP of sustainability at Aspen Snowmass. And there were two books that I read, which I would encourage anyone listening to this to, to check out if you're interested in sustainability or sustainable business. One was Let My People Go Surfing by Patagonia founder Yvonne Chouinard. And the other was Getting Green Done, which Alden Schindler wrote. And it was all about his journey and trying to make uh, Aspen Snowmass, the ski resort, more sustainable. 
And when I interviewed him, he had said, you know, what's interesting, because he's involved with Protect Our Winners, that nonprofit um, that's primarily uh, skiers and snowboarders and, and things uh, that, that are, want to fight climate change and solve the climate crisis. And he was like, what's interesting is that fly fishing hasn't really done much of that yet. And the thing is, is that there's actually, we could have a huge impact at absolutely zero cost by just leveraging our brand voices, contacting our elected officials, engaging with our customers and letting them know that climate change is important to us and we're going to do something about it. And that's part of what this climate alliance is also going to do is have a national call in day. And so those are things that cost nothing but could have tremendous impact. But it's not enough because you also need to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk, which brings me to carbon neutrality. What does that mean? What, what, what is that? So just as a, a 30,000 foot overview for everyone, and hopefully I don't bore everyone to death with this, but there's, uh, there's, there's three scopes when it comes to calculating your car, carbon footprint. There's scope one, which is company owned. So think of company owned vehicles or buildings. There's scope two, which is essentially your purchase electricity. And then scope three, which is essentially your supply chain. And so what we're trying to accomplish is there, there's several steps. One is calculating your carbon footprint because you have to have a baseline. Two, executing strategies that will, through energy efficiency or renewable energy, that will actually reduce your carbon footprint. And then three, because it's the, the next best option is to offset the rest or purchase renewable energy certificates. And to date, those are the be those are the best options available. It's all it's all you can do. So, um, I know that Dave has recently announced. Um, if I'm uh, I'm allowed to 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 say this out loud, um, but that Emerald Water Anglers is carbon neutral. And so, um, I thought that uh, yeah, right. Woo. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> So I, th I thought I would uh, kick this off and, and ask Dave a little bit more about that process and what that was like. And, um, you know, if you could just shed some light on that for everyone. Yeah, well, thank you for thank you for pointing that out. And, you know, Rick, you you do actually bear some of the blame for that decision that I made. Um, <laughs> um, I think that what I what I really want to try to do is, you know, for our customers, for the people that we spend our time with, and for all the other reasons that I said, I just feel like our industry spends a lot of money trying to put patches on things that we've made mistakes on and continue to make mistakes on. And there's some places we see band-aids, you know, halt bleeding for a while and, and sort of off, you know, offset the inevitable for a little bit longer but nobody's providing all the people in our industry that very easy decision to to do all the things that you said buy purchase live a life that's just more carbon aware and there's you know currently obviously no way for somebody to totally do it without the offset pro, uh, protocols that are available yep. so that is the option and it's the easiest freaking thing to do. I'd been talking about it for probably three or four years. And uh, a friend that works at Amazon, you know, Rick came in yep. one day and was like, why haven't you done this? You should do this. And so about six Sundays in a row, he came in for like three or four hours um, and figured out exactly all of those metrics for our business and handed me a sheet of paper. And he's like, here's what you're footprint is and here's what it'll take to offset it go choose your offsets and and try to do it somewhere that's you know either local or someplace that you patron frequently so that it looks like uh the offset you're doing is more in the place where you're putting the carbon into the air and um into the atmosphere and it's really simple and nobody's nobody's talking about this every business my size should be able to do it super easy Right. And as soon as more businesses our size, my size, start to do this and start to see the ease by which you can have 
that impact through your business, now our voice becomes even stronger to our suppliers uh, and help those suppliers be a stronger voice to their suppliers and manufacturers. It's a, it's a reverse chain effect, right? We're going down the pyramid or up it, whichever way you want to look at that. But um, I'm excited to do it because I can't believe nobody else in this industry has done it yet. Yeah. Well, well, first and foremost, kudos to you, Dave. Um, that, that, that's amazing. And, and one of the things that, I, that I'll point out is the thing that can get tricky or complex, particularly if you're a manufacturer or brand, is, is when you start digging into your supply chain. Yeah, it's not that easy but that being said think of it like this so you talk about that ripple effect and think about if everybody was doing this you wouldn't have to even track your supply chain because everyone would be doing their scope one and their scope two emissions their company owned and their purchase electricity so this could be the catalyst to start those you know particularly if people have shared suppliers to to really influence supply chains and make and actually make this easier for everyone. Um, so, with with that being said, and we're talking about things being um, how easy this can be in terms of offsets and, and things of that nature, I, I want to talk to Kyle because I've um, I worked with Kyle some and am, am in the process of of completing his full carbon footprint, but um, I thought I'd just and, and, and we can talk about this. What, what we did was we used for them that there is a carbon footprint calculator that Protect Our Winners has that's free, that's particularly for uh, guides and adventurers. And so when I met with Kyle, we went through and um, we were able to, well, Kyle, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up and I'll I, I'll let you talk about it. I get all fired up and now I've got a couple okay. beers in me. Come on, guys. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm a great example because as an independent guide, and again, I mean, to echo what Dave said, I was, you know, I was kind of blown away that I was the first independent guide that, you know, at least as far as, as far as we know about within this, this group to, um, be working to go carbon neutral. Um, because for a guide, it's, it's very easy. I mean, it, it, it took no time at all. You know, the footprint is it's relatively straightforward. I'm not, you know, I'm not a shop that has to account for a lot of different suppliers and um, very complicated supply chains and things like that. So, you know, I've got my boat, I've got, um, I've got the fuel that I burn, I've got the distances that I travel, I chose to offset, um, you know, even some of my, you know, my personal trips that um, that I do throughout the year. Um, I guided for another company this, uh, this past winter abroad, you know, I decided to offset that, that footprint as well, even though I'm, you know, taking a, a salary from another company. Um, so I, I kind of looked at it for, for 2019, just my whole collective, uh, footprint. And it was, I mean, First off, the exercise is just kind of eye-opening. You know, you're you're going through it and you're understanding exactly where all your touch points are. Everywhere that I'm, um, you know, everywhere that my footprint is affecting the the planet. So for for that alone, that just to draw your attention to it is just such a wonderful exercise as a business. Um, and and second, I was just so blown away by how simple it was to pull it together. Um, and Rick made the process easy. It's understandable. Um, and I was able to pick a project that is offsetting my footprint. That's, you know, maybe 75 miles from here. Um, and I actually have a, um, I have a client that I'll be able to get my credits from in the future, probably next year in Maine. Um, he helped, uh, get the Maine woods and water. Well, Dave knows him, Lucas St. Clair. Um, and, uh, so, that's pretty cool. He, you know, he helped put together the main woods and water monument and they're going to be, um, you know, getting, uh, getting credits together to, to, you know, basically manage that big chunk of forest. And so I'll be able to have that kind of tie into my story, being a main guide, have a big, beautiful forest that's being protected for all of time. 
to help sequester the carbon that that I'm emitting. So I mean, it was just it seemed it kind of seemed to, you know too good to be true. It's uh, uh, just going through the whole process, and I'm just I'm just psyched. Um, and Dave, you know, Dave connect me with Rick, and uh, super thankful for that. So thanks again, Dave. Yeah. Hey, Kyle. So is uh lucas offering offsets on the property up there next year yeah he's he's working on it i had him on the boat a couple weeks ago and um and we we're chatting about that i'm not exactly sure what the timeline is but it sounds like next year i'd you know be able to access those credits so sweet yeah well next time you see him tell him i'm interested in maybe doing that for next year's offsets myself i will for sure i think uh sunday i'm fishing again with him so i'll i'll definitely mention it really yeah he's not he's not working very hard <laughs> hey hey look you don't typical. have to you you don't have to when the trees are doing the sequestering for you yeah i know <laughs> it's typical of lucas though <laughs> um all right so uh tom let, let, let's talk about tailwater lodge and i also want to talk about because i know you have some other properties like the geothermal stuff is incredible Ooh. like that is mind blowing. I, I had Tom as a um, as a guest for uh, the Sustainable Angler back when it was just a a Q and A. Q&A. Um, and anyway, we had talked about that, so I'll let you elaborate on that. But what what we'll be doing um, with Tailwater Lodge is uh, just helping them um, in any way that I can to uh, to get their carbon footprint, which I think y'all already are involved because you're a Hilton property. Um, and collecting some of that data, um, but we'll take a little bit of a, a deeper dive. But anyway, again, I'll shut up. Y'all, 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 I'm all. I am so fired up right now. This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, so Tom, good, just just go. All right. So um, our lodge, you know, being kind of so we're a, a larger hospitality company. We represent hotels and restaurants and student housing and things throughout upstate New York. Um, our biggest piece in our sustainability move is we do all active reuse projects. So 90% of what we do is out of unutilized buildings, things that have gone to waste throughout upstate New York, which this is a rust belt area. There was a ton built at the turn of the century that has kind of just gone into either abandonment, decay, um, that eyesore at the end of the street. Um, so that's kind of been our focus kind of to begin with. So um, the company was started by my family. So they did this even before sustainability was a thing. Um, they kind of saw it as a movement to, you know, pretty much pick out properties around university areas throughout upstate. Um, so we just got lucky that we had a bunch of property to, to work with. Um, Tailwater itself, um, I was actually going steelhead fishing on the Salmon River and the Altmar Elementary School was and I went back to my folks and said, hey, um, I think we should buy this elementary school and turn it into a hotel. Um, I was pretty much kidding. Um, and they're like, let's go take a look at it. And the rest is history. So um, we got lucky that we, uh, we actually called the broker and we're like, hey, we'd like to buy the school. They, uh, they called us back and said, oh, sorry, it's sold. And then um, they called us back again and said, oh, no, that was the other school. So there was two elementary schools and we're lucky enough to get the one on the river. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where um, the beginning of Tailwater and the most of our projects start is in an abandoned building or an underutilized building. Um, Hotel Schuyler, which is what I was talking about earlier, that's um, elite platinum certified um, building on Syracuse University campus. So we have that one was an adaptive reuse of a um, 1920s Jewish temple. So that one was another really cool project. And that one is completely powered by geothermal. So and hotels and lodges in themselves are energy sucks because you know they're operating 365 days a year. Uh, we always have to keep some heat in the building. We always have to keep some sort of light on. Um, there's usually somebody walking around, but not always at full occupancy. So we do the best we can to mitigate our energy uses where possible. Um, we try to do it as much as we can. Um, we want to build as green as possible. Um, Tailwater is a little different. We didn't get to do as much as we wanted uh, because we're, you know, we're on well water there. We have a septic system there. Uh, there's not even any utilities, so we're bringing in propane at this point to, to heat the building. Um, so we're doing what we can at that property to kind of mitigate what, you know, kind of, because we created a use there as well. So it's, uh, 
it's an interesting problem to have. So we work closely with New York State DEC. We've done a ton of river restoration work. Um, we try to work with much of, uh, you know, local products, local farmers, um, you know, that's really where we're putting our stretch in right now to kind of keep with our sustainable aspects of the lodge. So yeah. I can keep going, but I'll stop there for, for now. <laughs> well, the, well, Tom brings up a couple of good points. Um, first and foremost, just so in case anyone was wondering, there is essentially since the beginning of we were homo sapiens, humans have an impact, like we make an impact, right? Um, and a lot of that negatively affects the environment. So, you know, you can't really say there's really such a thing as a completely sustainable product. Um, but I think the takeaway there and to Tom's point is you always do the best that you can. And what we'll start to do is then say, well, and then the next best option then is to offset the rest. Right. Um, so that you can say that, all right, yeah, well, you know, this, we did everything that we could. And I know Dave shop has a, has a green building certification too. And those are the things that it's important to still do those things to reduce your footprint to a certain point. And, you know, there's a lot of shop owners who, you know, they probably lease the building. So it might not make sense to consider renewable energy because they don't own the building. So it's just like, okay, well, what can I do? You know? And so um, you do the best that, that what you can and, um, and, and you start there. But an, another point that I just want to cover really quick that Tom mentioned with the adaptive reuse is so any anything like this hat that I'm wearing, this shirt, whatever, it, this all has embodied energy and water and it took resources to make this and the same thing that goes into building materials. And so um, what Tom, just to elaborate, it, it, what Tom's talking about with adaptive reuse is that you are actually making better use of something because that embodied energy and water that it took to actually frame that building and make that building is not going to waste you're reusing it so it's a more sustainable option it's, it's like using recycled materials in a product um, so that leads me to rep your water corinna garrison um, who i know um, i work with uh, directly and and they've been a client of mine for a few years but i know that they and again i'll be quiet i'll let y'all let you, let you tell your story, but um, I'll, I'll just say that I know that they're, they've been working hard to uh, do things within their office to reduce their energy use. Um, they're also incorporating recycled materials into their products and also some organic cottons and things of that nature. So um, take it away, guys. What, 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 what are y'all working on um, that you feel from a sustainable business side of things is, is helping to, to benefit um, your company and, and the environment. Well, thanks, Rick. Yeah, I mean, we have tackled some of the low-hanging fruit, I would say, at this point. I mean, we have worked really hard to divert waste from landfill, so we've been on a really nice track there. Um, we have made, so we, we lease our warehouse and office space, so we are sort of limited in the amount of, in, like, big infrastru infrastructure changes we can make, but we have made a number of improvements to our warehouses uh, with our landlord and just us. Um, we're a certified green business with our local muni municipality, which is kind of cool now. Um, and we do offset our warehouse carbon emissions. That's your, what, phase two? Phase two. The, the, the scope two. Scope two. Oh, scope two. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in the unenviable position. Sustainability now. nerd. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're, in the, we're in the unenviable position now of really needing to chase down our supply chain, which is yep. um, a whole different challenge. Uh, but you touched on sustainable materials. That is something that we're really trying to incorporate. We have had in our model since day one to support our conservation partners that work on conservation projects throughout the country um, and push money to them in the work that they do. But we're really trying to move beyond that, still expand that program, but move beyond that and work on our own sustainability and then really telling that sustainability story through our products, whether that's recycled polyester, organic cotton, um, we're not upcycling buildings, but we have upcycled some uh, 
like our sweatshirts are made of upcycled cotton, you know, so all of the, you can imagine how much scrap material there is in any textile um, place. And so all of our sweatshirts, actually what I love about them is you can tell that they're this upcycled, recycled content yeah. because they dye all of that mixed uh, textile. And then if you look really closely, you can see in the fibers, like there's like a fluorescent pink fiber in there. There's like a white fiber that didn't quite get dyed, but from afar it's black, you know, it's, it's yeah. kind of cool. So it has that feel of, of having a second life. Yeah. Um, we're not perfect yet, but one of the things that I have loved so much with working with you and even hearing some of these other stories is from the beginning when we started talking to you about trying to become more sustainable and moving beyond that donation to conservation partners is you can start somewhere. Everybody yeah. can do something. Yeah. And so what did we start with? We were like, okay, well, let's be sure we have low flow on our sinks. Let's be sure that we have low flow. Let's flushing. look at our lighting. Let's look at our lighting. Easy. Easy. Let's yep. buy offsets for the, um, for the electricity that we're using um, in our warehouses and offices. So that kind of stuff, it's so tangible. And then you can go, well, that was easy. Now let's tackle the harder stuff, which right. is what we're at now. And to Kyle's point, I think it's really valuable in terms of how it changes your frame of thinking when you start to think about all the different touch points, as he said. And from our perspective, not as a guide, but as a brand, the touch point of like, hey, what is the the uh, you know greenhouse gas emission for this shipment? that we're receiving from this place yep. right and really to just start to kind of reframe how you think about those things and that starts to shape our decisions and push what we do with certain factories and and how we've shaped those relationships and i think that's valuable as we start to you know push towards scope three and like yep. dave was saying you know, whichever way we're going up or down on the pyramid, you know, one of the things that is a necessary evil of clothing right now is the poly bag. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the plastic bag that everything comes in. And for a very long time we were working with our main hat factory of like, well, can we send you poly bags that are made from recycled content? Because once you pull that petroleum out and make a bag out of it, you know, there it is. It's there forever. Um, so there's a ton of people making recycled polyester bags and, um, or, you know what I mean? Plastic bags. And, um, <laughs> and so we were working with our factory and it wasn't worth the greenhouse gas to send them bags. You know, you got to pick your battles, but they had access to bags. And now that factory has changed to 100% recycled poly bags on their side. And we're not their only customer. So our push, I like to think, changed things for a lot of other companies. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's what I think that we can accomplish as an alliance um, is to have these ripple effects of positive change and all supporting each other along the way, which I think is really, really powerful. But um, I'm also going to take a second to, to brag on Repter Water. Um, they're not just diverting waste from the landfill. They divert 97% of their waste from the landfill, which in sustainable business terms, anything over 90%, which I know sounds counterintuitive, but there's always a certain amount of waste that is going to go to the landfill. But anything over 90% is considered zero waste to landfill. So they, they have accomplished that two years ago and continue to amaze me. They were at 95%. And I was like, these guys are amazing like that's incredible 95 percent. then last year we're tracking it they're 97 percent. i'm like y'all are talking about being a sustainability nerd y'all are y'all are y'all are taking the cake you're stealing the cake from me but uh, well, you, it was very contagious i mean we're in, we're in boulder county our house is in boulder county so you know a bunch of hippies and yuppies and whatnot um <laughs> but there is this really cool facility down the street you know 10 miles away from us that's called the Center for Hard Recycled Materials. So we can take almost anything there from our house too. So this isn't just stuff we're doing at the and office. And it's fun to grill them and be like, okay, wait a minute. 
<laughs> what are you doing with this? Yeah. Where is it? I want to know where this is going. Tell that, me about that this. hard styrofoam, you know? Yeah, that like, what is the, the deal? Styrofoam, they crush it up and press it back together. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, all right. So we've all sort of kind of told some sustainability stories and some of this. What I think probably looking at, at this, you're looking at it from a guide like Kyle is going to have a smaller footprint, right, than a brand, say. So it's easier for some people, or I won't, you know, it's easier for a guide to say, yeah, well, I, I can go carbon neutral. Here's what I'm doing. Boom, 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 boom. That's different, you know, than Dave's the next rung up and then Elijah's is the next rung up because then you're talking about everything from soaps and shampoo and everything else that goes in, that goes into a lodge and then you know sort of at the top of that is a brand who has a, a potentially a, a really complex supply chain so i think we, that well and we recycle too so just, just so you know <laughs> yeah. we, we participate in soap recycling programs yeah i love that tom but 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 i think that the 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 takeaway at least for me is that everybody can do something and they can do something today and that's what we're i, I think collectively all, all in agreement on is what are things that we can do that cost nothing that could have an impact well that's contacting your elected officials that's writing an op-ed that's letting your customers and your clients know that Hey, we're not perfect, but we care, and we're doing what we can to uh, to to solve the climate crisis. And here's what we're doing. Um, so I think that that's a really important message, and and always just start with what you can control and get things kicked off on the right foot. And you can address things as and challenges as they come along, and and you figure these things out. But I think that that's a really important takeaway um, in terms of like, oh well, I can't. I'm a brand, maybe I can't go carbon neutral tomorrow. That's not the point. The point is do the things that you can um, now to make an impact and you'll figure it out along the way. It'll, it'll, you, you'll get that. And that's why we set the goal for carbon neutral by 2030 so that some of these bigger companies and brands have an opportunity to fully not only reduce their uh, energy, energy demand and carbon footprint first and then offset the rest. Um, and I know that Dave's done that, and I know that um, Tom has been calculating uh, th their carbon footprint with, with Tailwater Lodge, and Kyle, you've done that. So, and, and Repower, obviously. So, I, I think that's just something that, that anyone listening to this who's considering joining the alliance should keep in mind is that this is not about being perfect. It's not about pointing fingers. Hey, you did this, you didn't do that. This is about, I think, sustainability is about being the best version of yourself, just like a person. And you just do the best that you can every day and you're not perfect, but you got to start somewhere. So kudos to all of you. Let's, what else we want to talk about? Does anyone want to talk about fishing? Maybe? I don't know. I mean, I kind of feel like we, 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 we've, we've talked about. I talk about how frustrating my phone and car is. <laughs> it, it, it's all good. It's, it is, it is no worries. Um, this is just all about, uh, hopefully get, getting some people inspired to, to, to get involved. Before we get to some epic fishing stories, I want to know what Kyle's drinking over there. I'm yeah, what is happening? Intrigued. I know my lovely wife, Kitri, just handed me main, main beer company. It is lunch. Talk about lunch good company. That's a good one. Yeah, this is this is the real delight. I know. I saw it come over. It was like the heavens were giving it yeah, to Yeah, <laughs> you see me light up? I was like... <laughs> <laughs> um well also speaking of good beer i'll have to give tom a a plug um so when i went up to fish at tailwater lodge this past fall like tom just nonchalantly is just like well just didn't say anything frankly and was just like okay like just yeah come up we'll fish we'll sort of get this workshop thing figured out we'll, we'll have fun okay cool well I go to dinner one night and he's like, no, 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 we're not eating in, in the, uh, the restaurant area. He's like, just come back here. And so I go back there and they've got a Patagonia provisions paired meal 
with mm-hmm. local beer and local cider and it was like a six course meal it was incredible so is that part of the normal program tom every day we did <laughs> no it just it worked out it worked out pretty well that patagonia provisions is hanging out and my buddy who owns the cidery brewery up the street was wanted to be part of it so yeah I mean, we love all those. It was a good night. Yeah, we're in. We're <laughs> in. We'll throw them. another one. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a tasting room, too, with a whole bunch of taps. So you okay. come in, we'll drink some beer, eat some local food. Yeah. I'm still it's trying to bring Corinne right around on the mackerel, but we'll get there. Hey, I just <laughs> smoked some mackerel yesterday, and it was delicious. I'm a mackerel fan. <laughs> well, I love the mackerel. The Patagonia Provisions mackerel is no, I like so I like the mackerel if you make it like you would make a tuna salad because we won't touch tuna with a ten foot pole because of sustainability, Rick. Yeah, well, you got to be careful. <laughs> you got to be careful what you're eating. No, hey, buy local, right? It's especially exactly. with seafood. There's not a lot of tuna in Colorado. We are a nightmare couple to go out to sushi with. Like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> we'll just take some rice and uh, low sodium sake, please. Or low sodium. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, dip. I mean, like lots of sake and. Do you have a mackerel special? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like that Portlandia episode. I don't know if y'all watch that, but when they're like, (laughs) sit down and ask about the chicken, and they're like, what was the chicken's name? And they're like, hang on, let's go to the farm. (laughs) Did he have have friends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're both born and raised in Boulder and then went to school in Portland, so you can... Oh, yeah. Right there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you guys go to Reed or Lewis and Clark or where'd you go in Portland? Lewis and Clark, yeah, pioneers. Yeah, all buddy. The way. Nice. You guys That's are kind of crunchy, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. We're crunchy for sure. Yeah, it's funny that we're both from Boulder and like one degree of separation, but met at Lewis and Clark in Portland. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's a good school. A friend of mine's dad was a law professor there. Nice. Oh, yeah, that law school is very yeah. cool. Good law school. Yeah. Right on the park. Yeah. All right, All now right. we can talk about fishing, Rick. All right, so let, let, let's go around and let's just talk about what is happening. Let's just talk about your last day on the water. Dave, What? T- t- tell me about your last day on the water out in uh, Washington. Let me get my calendar out so I can look and re- try to re- recall when that was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean – we were the only state in the country to fully close fishing during the beginning of COVID. Oh, really? I didn't, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, we fishing was 100% closed, whether you lived here or not. Uh, they closed everything. And I, you know, early COVID, I could kind of see some fairly sizable hurdles and obstacles coming coming our way through small business. And, and um you know, everyone here, as in other places, I'm sure, was so petrified that there we literally had customers that I think to this day probably still haven't left their house except to go to the grocery store. And um, so it was really, I really felt compelled to try to help people through our social understand that, man, you guys not spending any money, the PPP and stuff like that is not going to save all these small businesses. And in particular restaurants, all this, your service industry is going to absolutely disappear. And when you reemerge, it's going to be a reemergence into a ghost town. So you've got to figure out a way to reintegrate or integrate while um, sequestering yourself. And that was, so it was really, weird to sit around and watch the few people that were kind of illegally trying to get out and fish in places that were nondescript and discreet and social distanced and not get caught and had have a couple customers that had been cited for fishing illegally during that closure um the uh the last time i was actually out on the water i was actually teaching a rowing class about a week ago um no that's not true i was just down at my dad's on the north umqua steelhead fishing last week so not in washington but down in southern oregon um we had a pretty big winter up here 
but to kind of circle this back into what we're talking about with that big winter all of our snowpack already everywhere around here yeah um we're we're already seeing really high water temps even in puget sound um it's for the for the average angler it sneaks up on you you don't unless you're out there every day you don't see those real subtle you know the subtleties of change occurring when you water temp today and then you look at what it was last year and you're like huh and you think about seasonality and then as you walk through this season you're like why is it already why is Puget Sound that's connected to the ocean already in the high 60s on the surface water temp uh, pushing almost 70 in places near main current channels um, man that's going to be devastating for our cold water species out here it's yeah. all the way up the chain the resident trout are going to pay the piper all the anadromous fish are going to just crap the bed albacore fishing off the coast more and more dorado uh are being caught within 10 miles of the washington coast um you know it's unless you're paying close attention connecting all the dots man this climate change is sneaking up on us real fast and yep. uh because we all spend our lives associated with water it's <laughs> Maybe maybe it feels more perilous to us than the average person, but we got to figure out a way to communicate that. Yeah, and 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 I think too. Um, Sorry, and, and I, fishing report. And, <laughs> no, <laughs> but but hey, look, that's why we're doing what we're doing, right? I mean, that that's why we're having this conversation. That's why we're, we're, we're we all formed this climate alliance, and um, we're we're trying to 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 prevent uh, or save our fisheries um, and. Uh, I know Kyle mentioned this earlier and I said, we come back to it and I kind of forgot, but when I talked about that, there was snook in Charleston, like people are catching them like regular because we didn't have a big enough freeze this winter to usually there'll be a few that come up, but there wasn't a big enough freeze. And then I uh, interviewed, um, I forget who at the, at the moment, but they said um, that there's Virginia is opening a white shrimp fishery, which they never had in the past. Because yeah. the shrimp are going that far north, which means that it's so hot here in the Carolinas and Georgia, where we have wild Georgia shrimp and South Carolina shrimp that we grow up on and, you know, absolutely love. Look at them up. Um, but uh, they're, everything is, you know, they're, they're, they're following the, 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 the temperature and it's changing things at uh, today's point at a, at a pretty rapid pace. When I was in Iceland a couple of years ago, our guide actually on between our beat sessions would go down to the lower Ranga to catch pink salmon. Really? Yeah. And there, you know, Iceland's encouraging people to go club and harvest every pink salmon they can possibly get. Clearly not a species that belongs in Iceland. And uh, at least when I was there, they were unclear whether those were a Russian originated species that was crossing over to there or was a Pacific species that had crossed through a channel that was starting to open up in the Arctic. Um, but either way, that's like that's a for people in the fishing world. That's a huge signal. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's a red that's flag. Or Tom, are y'all seeing things in, in, in upstate New York with your salmon and, and steelhead and things your cold water species you know our cold water species that we target on our river are an alien species so it's kind of hard to we're reg how do i want to say this we're regulating a fishery for non-native fish that shouldn't be there in the first place so I don't know if you want to dive into my fishery along with the climate. Because uh, <laughs> there's a whole, it's a whole. No, it's relevant, man. There. <laughs> but um, no, we're, we, you know, we're a tailwater um, on the Salmon River, as, you know, as the name says. And our, our river temps every been getting worse and worse. And the, we're also seeing crazy bank erosion on our river just because of the way that they pulse the river. So, yeah, we need some work. Um, Lake Ontario itself, right now, this is a whole nother talk. We can maybe schedule it, Rick. But So we're trying to um, regulate the forage fish um, by stocking limits because the forage base 
isn't keeping up with the current amount of fish stocked in Lake Ontario. Um, and that's actually because of very cold winters. Um, Lake Ontario has frozen over, I believe, four times in the last five years, um, which is um, a lot of the forage, which is creating um, both steelhead problems and problems with the king salmon. So now they're playing scientists and, you know, reducing the amount of king salmon that are stocked into the Great Lakes, um, trying to create um, more of a, uh, a steelhead fishery, which that comes with a lot of strife from the captains who feel that it's the king salmon that is the moneymaker. Um, so it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in, in upstate New York and throughout Lake Ontario right now. It's, uh, it's one huge science experiment. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love fishing for a fish. I love our river. Um, I think our fish are real steelhead, you know, Dave, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it's, 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 it's very, very interesting what, you know, what they're trying to pull off because it really is, you know, a different science experiment every there, you know, it, those fish shouldn't be there. And now because of dollars and it's pretty much only because of the money behind the fishery that they're there and that they're being managed. So yeah, it's, it's, we're tailwater lodge, we're all sorts out there. So <laughs> lots to talk about. Yeah, hey, yeah. but the good news is, we're solving the climate crisis. Tailwater Lodge. We, that's it. We're, we're trying our best. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah. Our smallmouth fishery, which is, uh, which should be there, is fantastic this time of year. So, you know, and we're we're crazy overlooked for that. But it's, you know, gar and smallmouth is what's supposed to be in the river this time of year, and it, you know, it's that's it's a good time to be around upstate New York. So yeah. Nice. Well, ironically. Ironically, Tom, uh, we just finished our bass week in Washington, of which that is not at all a native species up here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, well, there'll be a snook tournament in Charleston next year, probably. So, uh, <laughs> um, we're looking for I'm kind of excited, Rick. I love snook. Oh, I do too, but I usually go to the Everglades uh, every year. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, this year we didn't because of the uh, uh, COVID, but man, snook fishing in the Everglades is pretty tough to beat, especially sight fishing for them. That's a pretty exciting, exciting bite. Um, Heck yeah. Well, well, Kyle, what are so you're you're guiding, so you're on the water all the time. How's how how has the uh, striper fishing been? It's been good. It's been good. I got some good good recent memories. Um, We've had some cool stuff. I always feel like I have to put it in context where it, you know, not to be a downer, we're at a 27 year low with striped bass stocks, but yeah. we do have pockets of excellent fishing. Um, our flats have been holding up really well. So there's been, that's pretty consistent. That seems like it's one of the more consistent elements, which is nice because it's probably the most challenging um, shallow water bass and trying to fool them on a crab or a shrimp and, I had a guy out today who was like, this is like fucking boat fishing, man. I mean, we had, <laughs> we had a really skinny water bite in just a very beautiful, beautiful day over sand. And so we're fishing eight, 10 inches to, you know, 25 inch stripers that are cruising around and tailing and doing cool stuff. So we had, we had a pretty fun day today and we've, we've had some cool stuff, some cool stuff going on. You know, this is the time of year it starts to slow a little bit. So yeah. You know, we're starting to get into August where the fish are fat and happy and they're, you know, they're, they're in their full on resident New England mode of just, they're well fed, they're in their spots, they're, you know, they can be a little bit trickier, um, but, uh, but we got some cool stuff going on still for sure. Right on. Um, Corinne Garrison, I know that y'all are, I know Garrison went to Wyoming recently. Um, any, 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 any report? Well, I would say on a positive note, I mean, first of all, just, you know, people are talking about how kind of things are changing. I mean, we do see in Colorado, I feel like more and more severe droughts in southern Colorado right now is already in a really severe drought. Most of the state is in drought conditions. We see warmer temps. But on a positive note, to your point, my last day fishing was just one of those float days with a good buddy and in an area where they've had really good water this year. And the nighttime temps are still like 
40 degrees every night. So nice, cool nights and big, healthy fish. And we didn't see anybody. We saw moose and prairie falcons and some big, healthy trout and just had a glorious day on the water. So one of those days to remind us of what we're, uh, what we're striving to pass on. And while yeah. he was gone, I, uh, I just went to like our local water, caught a bunch of, you know, small fish cause it's small water, but just dry dropper all day. Hard to beat that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Did you go up to the big Thompson? No, we're a little further south from the big T. We're just like, we're in Boulder County. And so like all the Boulder Creek watershed is, is closest. That's cool. The St. Brain's not too far from us either. Some of that there small you go. Too. Um, all right. Well, I think that. On the note of, uh, oh, sorry. No, we, no, so no. I did fish today. In Ertz and we got like 30 fish on dry droppers all day. So it was first day I fished with a fish local in a while. So it felt, felt good. Yeah. That's fun. Well, I, I don't have anything really as, as, as exciting because I think I mentioned this. I can't remember if we were recording when we talked about this, but I miss, I had a redfish today that was a very good size and we were low tide fishing and his back was out of the water and I cast up. I had like three good shots before he blew out and I just, he just, didn't pay my fly any attention and I'm gonna have to I'm just gonna have to live with that y'all that's just that's something you. I'm gonna have to live with <laughs> yeah. uh, I was heartbreaking I posted this morning on Instagram yeah. <laughs> um well y'all I uh I, I appreciate every I, I sincerely appreciate and thank all of you for for joining the the fly fishing climate alliance um, without y'all, um, we wouldn't um, have gotten this thing off the ground. I hope we continue to gain more momentum and um, more guides and shops and lodges and brands get on board. But thank you to all the brands who've um, become a part of this alliance. And I think that we're going to achieve uh, really powerful and impactful things together. And I'm excited about it. So um i think I, I, I before you sign off rick can i throw something out there really quick of course um i'd like to i just want to tell all of you guys that uh and not to sound i don't want to sound like i'm i'm just gonna say it so don't take it wrong but i'm super proud of all of you guys for taking the leap that you have i think this small group tells a full circle story of what's possible. Um, Rick, I would highly encourage looking into some sort of a short video to be made about little snippets of each one of these stories. Cause as you've mentioned, we've touched on the full ring really of, of what our industry touches um, and what that looks like at each one of those avenues, as far as being carbon negative or carbon neutral. Yep. And Garrison and Corinne, I applaud you constantly for being in the position of a manufacturer um, trying to make this happen. Uh, that's what is going to turn the, that's what's going to actually start to steer the ship in the right direction. Um, well, all the guides in the world, all the guides in the world are going to, you know, you know, create a voice and a, and a base by which to you know support what you're doing but it's really going to take someone like you bold enough strong enough uh flexible enough willing uh and able to show larger uh companies as well as the ones of similar size and with not only in our industry but others fringe industries that it can be done it's going to take someone like you to do this We'll yep. try it. We'll keep pushing, buddy. One, we appreciate one it. One thing at a time, for sure. Well, well, no, and I mean to echo Dave's sentiments. I mean, th this is this is going to take everyone. This is uh, yep. all, all hands on deck, and we're all. I think that that's probably the most powerful 
thing about this alliance is we're working to achieve a common goal. Um, and that means collaborating and sharing and, and, and doing everything that we can um, to achieve this. I think that there's a, uh, like I said, a, a massive ripple effect that, that can happen. And so it takes all of us and I mean, let's just kick some ass, right? I mean, yeah, do it. Let's do it. And Thomas, you too, man. The the lodge world has a big footprint in this industry, and your ability to show them how to do it and the ease by which it can be done, I think, is again, it's going to provide more substance, more grit, more um, help pave the way for the larger companies that are going to really start to put the pressure on the supply chain to to turn the ship around and start redirecting how we do things. Um, I'm super excited that I'm, I'm so excited to be with you guys. Um, yeah. Nice, nice work, everybody. Yep. You too, everybody. And Rick, for your, for your obvious foresight to dump out on that ever so flimsy limb to try to drive this nail into the, into the industry. It's, it's bold, dude. Well, I, I appreciate it. And thank you for the kind words, but the, none of this happens without y'all. So um, we are going to, we're going to do this and I hope that more people get on board um, and we, yeah, we're, it's just going to happen. So, um, you know, I, I would say that the next step is if we do this before 2030, we start challenging other industries. So, um, you know, surf industry, we're coming for you. Um, skiing industry, we're coming for you. Let's just start, we'll start beating some people up. Um, and at the end of the day, maybe fly fishing can save the world. Thanks for listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. A special thanks to Corinne and Garrison Doctor from Rep Your Water, Tom Fernandez from Tailwater Lodge, Dave McCoy from Emerald Water Anglers, and Kyle Schaefer from Soulfly Outfitters for joining me on the podcast today and also for being Fly Fishing Climate Alliance members. If you'd like to join the Climate Alliance, visit EmergerStrategies.com. And if you could, uh, please give us a rating and review on iTunes if you like what you're hearing. I really appreciate it. Have a good one.